Peter Adamson, and you're listening to the History of Philosophy podcast, brought to you with support from King's College London and the LMU in Munich, online at www.historyofphilosophy.net. Today's episode will be an interview about Duns Scotus with Giorgio Pini, who is Associate Professor of Philosophy at Fordham University. Hi, Giorgio. Hello, Peter. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure. We're going to be focusing on Scotus's theory of cognition or knowledge. And in order to get at what's special about Scotus, I thought it would be a good idea to first ask you about his predecessors. Maybe we could focus on Aquinas because Aquinas is famous, <laughs> and also Scotus responds to him quite extensively. What is the kind of basic idea that Aquinas would have about how we come to have knowledge of the world around us through our sense experience? Yeah, Thomas Aquinas' idea was that um, we get knowledge of uh, everyday objects, let's say a giraffe, by starting up up with um, um, sensory properties. So, for example, color of the giraffe or the smell of the giraffe, all things that we can get acquainted with by our senses. Then we develop that sort of information through our cognitive powers, so our sensory power, our memory, and finally our mental powers. What do we get at the end of the story? Well, we get a concept of a giraffe that is, for Aquinas, a form that is present in our mind. And that form corresponds to the form of the giraffe out in the world. The two are uh, very similar, even the same under some respects. For that reason, uh, for Aquinas, we we can, in that way, for Aquinas, we can uh, get to the essence of things in the world, know what a giraffe is, uh, starting with our senses and ending up with concepts in in our mind. And this concept would basically involve all of the essential properties of what a giraffe is, so there's nothing left out. Yes, yes, there is nothing left out. Aquinas is aware that uh, it may be very difficult and it may also take a long time to get all the essential properties, something that a biologist can do in many years, but he's pretty confident that it is something that uh, we can do, just relying on our senses and our cognitive powers. And in fact, the state of knowledge of giraffes in 13th century Paris was actually terrible. Yes, I guess so. He would have been right about that. Uh, What happens then after we die? Because Aquinas thinks that what happens in the beatific vision, or when we get to heaven, as it were, is that our cognitive access to the truth improves quite a lot. And from what you just said, it sounds like there's not much room for improvement. Yeah. um, For Aquinas, basically the same pattern, the same kind of explanation works in the next life, of course, with some sort of modification. In the next life, we will not be acquainted with everyday material objects like a giraffe, our knowledge will be uh, of God, a very different kind of object. So, in order to get the knowledge of God, we will not be able to rely on our senses, clearly. At the same uh, time, Aquinas is willing to keep the basics of his account of knowledge uh, 
and he says that uh, we still have a form in our mind a form of God when we know God. The way we acquire it is not through our senses, but basically God himself will give us his, uh, this form. The peculiar idea that Aquinas has is that in the case of the beatific vision of our knowledge of God in the next life, God will play the role both of the object, what we know, and of the form through which we know that object. So God will play two roles, so to speak. As if God were both the giraffe and the image of the giraffe. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So that's a very special case, obviously, but in general terms, he thinks that the cognitive mechanism is the same. It's like the you same. Get a form. Exactly. You get a form through different channels, through the senses in the case of uh, this life, directly from God in the next life. But the cognitive mechanism that is uh, in us is basically the same, and it works in the same way. In a way, we can say that God has to adapt to it, because for us, uh, to know is just to have a form in our mind. So if God wants to be known by us, he has to uh, play the role of the form as well, of this image. And this is one of the things that Scotus is going to question and challenge because he thinks there's a big difference between our knowledge in this life and our knowledge in the next Correct. life. Correct. To get into that, though, let's start with this life. What okay. would Scotus say is happening when I look at a giraffe? So I'm at the zoo, there's the giraffe. What would he think happens? Okay, well, on the one hand, he says something that is similar to what Aquinas says, because uh, he thinks that uh, I get acquainted with the giraffe, I know what a giraffe is, uh, starting with the sensory information that I gather from the giraffe, starting from uh, um, these uh, sensory qualities. So again, uh, the color, the smell, the noise that a giraffe can make in certain circumstances. This is the starting point, like for Aquinas. But then, the way this information, the starting information, is developed uh, is a little uh, different for Scotus, because Scotus is very much aware of a problem. He thinks that what the, uh, these sensory properties, like the smell, the color, the noise that uh, a giraffe makes, uh, what these kind of sensory properties give us is very little information, very, very little. If we think of the gap between uh, the smell of a giraffe and the sophistication of a concept that, that a biologist has of what a giraffe is, there seems to be a long way to go. And there seems to be no way just to bridge this gap through a sort of, uh, through making uh, um, the information that is already present in the sensory uh, qualities more and more sophisticated through, through some sort of refinement. Scotus thinks that, that something more is required. And how do I get to this something more? Because it seems like the only access I have to the world around me is through my senses. The only access that I have um, is correct uh, to the world is through my senses, but we also have uh, a very powerful uh, mental capacities of an inferential kind, so that we can make reasonings about the information that we gather through the senses. That was something that Aquinas as well, of course, was well aware of. But for Scotus, it is 
on these inferential capacities that we have really to focus in order to explain how we get from uh, the sensory information to the um, more sophisticated concept that we have in our mind. How does uh, the story work for Scorus? Well, again, I start with uh, my direct acquaintance with the smell or with the color. Um, then I, get, I can get uh, a concept of what a color is. But this is still a concept of uh, a property, what uh, a medieval thinker would call an accident is not what a giraffe is, what an object is. If we could rely just on our senses and uh, on the development of what we get from our senses uh, that we can uh, just carry out, we should stop here. How do we get to the concept of what a giraffe is? Well, at that point, uh, um, our inferential uh, powers come in and um, we realize, we, we reason, actually, that uh, if there are properties, there must be a subject underlying them. There must be something, an object that is not a property, but is uh, the thing to which all these properties belong. So you start with these accidents, so it's brown, it smells bad. Yes. Let's face it, giraffes are not the most <laughs> fragrant beasts. Yes. It's tall. It's located in the zoo. And then you think, well, wait a minute. These accidents are all kind of happening in the same place. So it must be that there's something underneath, so to speak, Precisely. to which they belong. Precisely, yes. And this is a piece of reasoning. This is not something that uh, we can arrive at uh, only by the information we get uh, from the senses uh, and by some sort of elaboration of that information. And does he actually think that it's literally a conscious piece of reasoning that it sort of goes through your mind explicitly? Oh, look, there must be something underneath. Uh, well, Scotus is not very clear about this, but um, I don't think that is the case. I think that Scotus uh, thinks that just because our mind is built up in a certain way, um, it has the power, it is predisposed to work in that way when uh, faced with uh, some accidents. So I do not have uh, consciously to think, oh, uh, there is a smell, there is a color, uh, they cannot just uh, float, they do not just float around in reality, but they always come together, so there must be a subject to which they belong. This is a piece of reasoning that I make sort of unconsciously, if you want, just because my mind is set up to work in that way. Okay, but what if a skeptic came along and said, well, I don't believe there's anything underlying. I think that maybe there is a giraffe, but to me, a giraffe is nothing more than a kind of collection or bundle, as sometimes is said in today's metaphysics, is like a bundle theory of a substance. The idea would be that there's nothing more to the giraffe than being a bundle of these properties. Yes, well, Scotus is... Um in some way is aware of this possible criticism. So he actually has an argument to uh, show that uh, there must be something underlying which is not a property but is a subject of properties. His basic argument is that uh, that is the best explanation to account for the fact uh, that uh, these uh, different accidents, these different properties, a smell, a color, come together 
and they are sort of the, the bundle, if you want, is constant over time. Uh, and some of these uh, properties, some of these elements of the bundle can be lost, but other ones are retained, and we still recognize some sort of very important identity over time. And uh, that is his argument um, that he thinks uh, the argument uh, that is the argument that he uses to show that uh, uh, there must be um, an underlying object, an underlying subject behind these uh, different properties. That's interesting because it actually echoes something Aristotle says in the categories where he's trying to explain what a substance is and he says a substance is the thing that undergoes change. So, for example, human goes from being white to not white or from not white to white. And so that idea of the underlying thing that persists through change, the idea that that's what it really means to be a substance, seems to go all the way back to Aristotle. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Scotus, uh, well, Aristotle was definitely the main source of uh, Scotus, even though Scotus, like many other scholastic thinkers, used Aristotle in a very inventive way. So, for example, concerning this problem of the underlying object, as you said, there is definitely the idea of uh, the Aristotelian substance underlying different changes. But Scotus adds a twist to this idea, if you want, because Scotus thinks that uh, there is also a cognitive side to this story. So that uh, he's talking about not just the structure of reality, the fact that there are underlying subjects, but he's also saying that, well, we can find out that there are underlying objects, that there are objects behind smells, colors, because there is uh, something that goes on over time and remains the same in some sense. So an idea like that of a substance that started up like something uh, purely metaphysical, if you want, something that tells us something about the way the world is, now that same idea is being used by Scotus also to illustrate uh, something about the way we know the world is. Let me try a different kind of skeptical response to this theory. Instead of thinking of the substance as a bundle of properties, what if I said, okay, sure, there is something underlying these properties, but I couldn't possibly know what it is because of the way you just set it up, right? So you've told me my access to the world is through sense perception, all the things I get through sense perception are just accidental properties. It seems like the only thing left for the substance to be is an I know not what, as Locke later will put it. Yes. Well, on the one hand, Scotus would agree that in this life, we can never have a complete grasp of what a thing is, as it says, a complete grasp of the essence of a thing. On the other hand, is um, very confident that even though our grasp is sort of uh, not completely detailed, we can still get a grasp of uh, the essence of something. How can we do that? Well, the problem, as you indicated, is to, that we have to bridge the gap between uh, properties and uh, what this uh, subject is. Scotus uh, thinks that we can do that because the 
object underlying uh, uh, these properties is not something of a completely different kind from uh, the properties that are present in that object. After all, we say both about the object and about the properties that they are something. That may not be very informative, admittedly, but this is something that for Scotus is very, very important. Uh, because he argues that if we say both about the object and about the properties that they are something, we must be using the word something in the same sense. And that is what offers us a, a bridge between uh, properties and object. So this is referring to the so-called theory of the univocity of being. So in other words, the idea that existence or being always means the same thing, whether it's God, an accident, a substance, Precisely. which is something I talked about in a recent episode. Uh, so the thought there, I guess, would be that I do have access to accidents. I don't have immediate access to substances, but since substances are beings and accidents are beings, and since being is being, because it's unifical, I've got access to something that's of the same type as the thing I really want access to, which is the substance. Precisely. So the idea is that, um, as you said, I start up with accidents, then um, I can um, form uh, the concept of a being, of something, just out of the little information I get from accidents. Afterwards, after all, even if I am just acquainted with the color or with the smell, I can form the concept of something, of a being, out of that uh, little piece of information that I have. Now that I have the concept of a being, I can um, make an inference and conclude that there must be something behind the, those uh, properties, those colors, those smells. What do I know about that something? Admittedly, not very much, but at least I know that it is something in the very same sense of something in which uh, properties, accidents, are something. And I know, of course, that that object is the subject of properties. So at least I have um, the basis on which I can build up a more and more sophisticated concept of what th that thing is. The more information I gather, the more accidents I am acquainted with, the more thing I can say about that object. And I guess that also it means that I can have a unified science, which is metaphysics, which studies all the beings, so accidents, substances, and also God. Absolutely. So even though uh, Skodus uh, seems to have some sort of skeptical sides in what he says, because he thinks that we do not have a direct access to the objects, to even material objects in this world, is uh, pretty confident that we can um, build up a science of being, a science of reality in this life. We can have a very solid metaphysics. And the tools uh, by which we build up uh, metaphysics for Scudus are basically two. The first one is uh, the univocal concept of being about which we have just been uh, talking about. Because we have this univocal concept, we can move from our acquaintance of accidents and arrive at a knowledge of objects. The second tool is our inferential capacities. Um, Scodus uh, argues 
that uh, we can trust uh, our inferential capacities completely. So, for example, we can uh, trust completely uh, the principle of non-contradiction and we can trust completely our capacities to make to derive uh, consequences from a premise. That is uh, the other way by which, uh, even though I do not have a direct grasp of what a giraffe is, uh, I'm not plugged in uh, to the essence of a giraffe directly, I can arrive at a pretty sophisticated and complex concept of what a giraffe is uh, by saying, first of all, a giraffe is an object Second, it is an object which is the subject of uh, such and such and such properties. You keep saying in this life as a kind of caveat, which implies that things will be different in the next life. We said before regarding Aquinas that Aquinas has the idea that cognition will work in the same basic way in this life and in the afterlife. I take it that for Scotus, that's not true. So does that mean that in the afterlife, I just am plugged into the essence of giraffe, as you put it? That sounds like paradise to me. Uh, well, in a way, yes. Uh, uh, that's, that's definitely the case. That's uh, the other important difference uh, between uh, Scotus and Aquinas concerning uh, the theory of cognition. In the next life, uh, uh, we will not rely anymore on our senses, clearly, we will not need to make this uh, sometimes complicated inference, uh, starting with the senses arriving at the notion of an object uh, underlying uh, uh, the you know, accidental properties. In the next life, we will uh, make use of a special power that we already have in this life, but because of the limitation, our cognitive limitations in this life, we do not use now. And this uh, special cognitive power that we have is what uh, Scotus calls uh, intuitive cognition, which is a uh, power to have uh, direct access to the essence of something without all the mediation of uh, the senses, of uh, uh, inferential powers uh, that are necessary right now. And this intuitive kind of knowledge, can I have that at all during this life? I mean, is there anything I have intuitive access to? Not yeah. giraffes, apparently, but... Yeah, uh, for Scotus, um, that is actually a controversial point about scholars of Scotus, but Scotus is pretty clear um, that uh, in this life there are some cases in which we have this intuitive knowledge of things. So that is also evidence that we are able to have it in the next life because there are a few cases uh, which are pretty uncontroversial for Scotus in which we have this intuitive direct grasp of the essence of something in this life. Um, his uh, examples are um, our own cognitive faculties and possibly even our own mind. How do we know uh, our own uh, cognitive faculties? Well, clearly not through sensory accidents, because, uh, we, because uh, cognitive faculties are not things that have sensory accidents. Like so, I don't smell myself thinking. or Exactly, right? I don't smell myself thinking. <laughs> but I do know that I think. How do I know? Well, according to Scotus, because I have a sort of direct access to my power of thinking, and that direct access is uh, this um, cognitive knowledge.
Right, and so the way that I would access what a giraffe is in the afterlife is the way that I access the fact that I'm thinking about giraffes right now. Yes, uh, there is a little complication about that because in the next life, uh, the main object of knowledge will be God, and God is uh, an object important enough to be basically the, the main, if not the only object of knowledge in the next life. But I will know God uh, through this uh, intuitive knowledge directly without any mediation so no need of a form of god as aquinas had thought and by knowing the essence of god directly i will also know in a sort of secondary way but very powerful way all the essences of the other things because all the essences of the of the other things are contained in some way in god so i do get the giraffes after all that's, absolutely that's all i care about absolutely <laughs> and much in a much better way than i can get the giraffe in this life right. just out of curiosity this r very heavy restriction on our intuitive knowledge in this life is that a punishment for the fall or is it just because we're embodied or both or is it not clear? <laughs> it is not clear in the sense that uh, Scorus uh, takes into account both the possibilities that you mentioned. He says that uh, it may be due just to the fall as a sort of a punishment for the fall. Maybe now we have to get the essence of things in a roundabout way through the senses, through inferences. We are not able to do it directly anymore. And uh, in only few cases, like the knowledge of our own cognitive powers uh, or even of our uh, volitions, uh, we can do that in a direct way. So this could be a consequence of the fall, or it could just be uh, the fact that uh, we are embodied uh, beings, uh, that we have a body, and so God decided maybe to harmonize our body and our minds, uh, and uh, he decided just to create things in such a way that uh, to um, my power to get knowledge of things, uh, there corresponds uh, my power to get knowledge of sensory accidents through the senses. Scotus doesn't have a definitive view. Uh, about this, but it's pretty clear that this is a contingent situation. This is true just in this life. Uh, and it is uh, also quite clear that for Scorus, this is a cognitive limitation. So the senses are very useful in this life because they are the only door through which I can get access to objects, to material objects. But they are also a very limiting kind of door because uh, they do not give us a direct access to the essence of things. In the next life, we do not need that kind of a channel, limiting channel. We can get access to essences of things in that sort of direct way. One last question, speaking of the afterlife, let me ask you something about Scotus's afterlife in the historical tradition. A lot of the things you've said for me, uh, ring bells with people like Descartes or Hume. So, for example, the idea that we have some kind of immediate access to the fact that we're thinking sounds a lot like Descartes' famous cogito argument. The idea that we only get access to material substances through the kind of sense impressions they make on us sounds like Hume and the other empiricists. Is that just a coincidence or is there a historical link between Scotus and these early modern thinkers? 
No, I don't think it is a, a coincidence. Of course, there are many differences between Scotus and these early modern thinkers. For example, as I said, Scotus was never a skeptic and never even went through a stage of skepticism because he ha always had full confidence uh, in our inferential capacities and in our ability to make up a univocal concept of what something is. Also, for Scotus, uh, sensory properties are not just in my mind. They are out there in the world. They are objective features of the world. And that is a quite an important difference between Scotus on the one hand, and I would say all late medieval thinkers on the one hand, or most of them, and early modern uh, thinkers. At the same time, uh, there are indeed some striking uh, similarities, and that is not a coincidence, because Scotus had a a very strong influence on many people thinking and writing after him. More specifically, he had a very strong influence on people writing textbooks of metaphysics or on cognition. People uh, like uh, Francisco Suarez, uh, for example, uh, a, a Spanish thinker uh, active in the 16th century, who um, wrote an entire system of philosophy. Suarez was uh, heavily influenced by Thomas Aquinas, but he was also heavily in influenced by Scotus. Actually, we can say that he read Aquinas through Scotus. Suarez, in turn, was uh, influencing a tradition of uh, textbooks that were the sort of textbooks with which, for example, Descartes was uh, familiar with when he studied in the Jesuit uh, college. He was given access to these kind of uh, textbooks. So, in this way, even though it is in an indirect way, I think that it is correct to say that um, Scotus had an influence on early modern thought. Right. And of course, I will be getting to all of these guys eventually, Suarez and early modern thought and so on. In the nearer future, I will be turning to medieval philosophy in the 14th century. Scotus lived until the first decade of the 14th century. I'm going to be turning to other 14th century thinkers uh, in the episodes to come. But for now, I'll thank Giorgio Pini very much for coming on the show. Thank you. And please join me next time as I go on further into the 14th century here on the history of philosophy without any gaps. Mm -hmm.